Hi, Quinn. How are you? I'm doing great, Lynette. Awesome. Hey, listen, before we dive into our podcast together, our interview podcast, what I'd like to do is just ask you four questions. Um, the first question being, share the best part of your entrepreneurial journey. Oh, it's an adventure. It's a fun <laughs> adventure. You've got your highs, your lows, your, you know, it's like a roller coaster <laughs> sometimes. But uh, I've, I've been an entrepreneur, actually, since I've been about 16. I had my first business at 16. So what was that business? Well, I was a baton twirler. And I opened a little baton school. Are you kidding? That is awesome. You never told me this in the yeah, pre-call. <laughs> so you are an entrepreneur by heart. I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Yes. And and I was just going to ask you. So the best part really is that you've got this flexibility and the freedom. So what what type of freedom does it give you? Well, I'm I'm creative. I love coming up with ideas. I can read a book and ideas start popping and how I'm going to move that into a certain area or develop my programs a certain way, or if I'm writing or giving a talk, it just inspires me. So nothing is as it is. It, it is always evolving in my brain. <laughs> seems like. I love that. I love that. There's nothing like getting on an airplane with about three magazines and being inspired by every single one of them and then going and into implementing the ideas. I get my best ideas from airplane rides actually. So that's awesome. That's great. Uh, second question. What advice do you have for hesitant women in midlife who are considering entrepreneurship? Well, I have two ideas. One is follow your heart. So important. If it feels right and you feel excited about it, go for it. As soon as you feel the self-doubt, so that personal thinking mind that comes on board, don't follow that part. <laughs> Always follow the one that inspires you and feels good on the inside. And the second idea I have is think about yourself at 80 years old. You're sitting on your rocking chair, you're end of, you know, nearing the end of life. When you look back, when you're the age you are now, what do you want her to know? What do you want her to know about this journey in the next 30 years? And so listen to her wisdom because she knows what you want to do. That's awesome. I love that. Follow your heart. And then especially that fearful part. Like I feel like that is where we get our, where we get stuck. Like one of the questions I want to ask you when we get into the podcast is, when you're saying that you're creative and you find inspiration in a lot of things that you're reading or even you're seeing is like, how do you move away from that fearful part? You know, so hang on to that. Cause I want to talk to you more about that. For sure. All right. Third question. What inspired you to start your business? But I guess in your case, what inspired you to always be an entrepreneur starting at 16? I just enjoy it. I, th there's a joy that comes with creating and seeing it being put into action. So I used to do fashion shows and so I was the choreographer and I just love the idea of pulling something together and implementing it. And so that's always been part of me. And I've also had jobs where it was nine to five and I felt so drained after the day and after the week. So it just wasn't part of who I am. And so that's why I 
got on this path. My work has always been about beauty and well-being in girls and then now women. And I just want everyone to live a beautiful life. And it's just followed me ever since. That's I love that. And tell me a little bit more about when you were in your nine to five and coming home feeling drained. Why do you think you were like that? Oh, the, the metaphor that keeps coming to mind when I think about working nine to five is a caged animal. <laughs> oh I just felt that I, you know, I didn't have the ability to really express my work the way I want to work, how I know I can reach people because I had to fit into a protocol. I had to fit into a box of the mandate that was being delivered at that particular organization. And so when you knew that that was like, how did you have that self-reflection? Like, how did you know that being drained at the end of the day was because you were this in a cage versus just, oh, you were busy at work and you were just, you know, pumping it out, pumping it out, you know, how did you know that it was really going against your values, I guess? Well, that's kind of what I teach in my courses is really understanding your wisdom is always speaking to you. Like it is always mm -hmm. letting you know what's right for your life. And it has a tendency to be a whisper. <laughs> so when we get too busy minded, we don't hear it. And we just prug along or we blame other people or we blame the organization or we have our things. But that is your clue that something is off within yourself and you have to realign yourself to what makes sense to you. So anytime you start thinking about something different, what's the feeling like? And how does that, even though there's fear there, it still feels solid and grounded. And that's the key uh, when you pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I just wrote that down. I want to talk to you more about that. Just mm -hmm. knowing like, what are you thinking, feeling and doing? And like, just having that sense of being present in your body to know well enough that it wasn't just because you had stacks of work to do. It was because it just wasn't serving you. And yeah, that's amazing. Okay. One last thing. And I think I already know the answer, but this is going to be a goodie. How has entrepreneurship, how has living this life of an entrepreneur really changed your life, impacted your overall well-being? Like how, how has it really impacted you? Hmm. Well, nothing can impact my well-being in the outside world, but I can align my outside world with my well-being. And so when I pay attention to my well-being and I know what brings it joy, then I align my outside life to it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thank you for being so honest with those four questions. Let's do a dive into This is 50, Freedom Through Passion. So <laughs> Quinn, you and I, welcome to the show. You and I met through a mutual friend based in Vancouver, uh, Paige. She's been wonderful. She's uh, given me, I think, three or four really amazing referrals. So when I had an opportunity to meet with you and talk with you, you were doing what a lot of women our age are probably doing. And that was taking care of a sick mom, uh, being an entrepreneur or just hustling, you know, with your life. And I just admired everything. That whole conversation was amazing. So 
give yourself a little bit of a yeah (laughs) mom you know coughing and yeah so it was uh i was it was really amazing to watch so let's take a step back give the audience a little bit of a lowdown on who you are where your journey has taken you to today um a little bit about what you're doing right now and then we'll dive into some questions that i have for you yeah wow well right now i'm at the end of my 50s so it uh feels interesting to be at this and i couldn't wait to be 50. i was like (laughs) i i had a fancy dress swim for my 50th birthday and i raised money for women um where in Africa, where they needed um, nets, you know, uh, to protect their children. Um, So I joined an organization that was doing that. And um, we just wore fancy dresses that I had a pink runway (laughs) that took us into the water. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do for my 60s? I have to top that somehow. So So that was my entry into the 50s. But prior to that, my work has been very interesting. I Like I mentioned before, I always loved beauty. I've always been, my first runway show was when I was five. And, and then I just stayed, you know, when I was on stage since I was five as well with baton twirling, that just sort of evolved into wanting to be in that industry. And so I spent about 10 years in the beauty industry and did all kinds of things from training European skincare lines in Western Canada to owning my own aesthetic studio, training in Beverly Hills. So I, I just had a lot of wow. fun in the field. But something was missing for me because I was doing self-development courses for girls. And a lot of them were asking me about relationships. And I had my own personal thinking about relationships, but I felt I needed more training. So I still remember that day where I gave back the keys to um, the company I was working with, got in the car and went to a school and registered for a counseling program. And I've never looked back on that, um, doing that. So what was the draw? How were they coming to you to ask these questions, these girl questions? Yeah, um, I was going into rec centers. I was promoting my programs through rec centers at the time. Um, sometimes I was going into the school system and doing some courses there. Sometimes it was a rite of passage type celebration. It was just a lot of networking and making contacts with people. Wow. That's great. That's great. So, okay. So then that was, so counseling sort of took hold in your mid thirties. Uh, yes. Um, just before my third, yeah, around my thirties and then, and I had my babies um, and I had two daughters. And as much as I wanted to work, I really loved being a mom. I, I right. just, I loved it. And when I was away from them for too long, it bothered me. I didn't know what was going on in their lives. And the nanny felt like they knew more than I did. And I didn't like mm-hmm. that. And so I, I really was hands-on as a mom and really nurturing that well-being in them, making sure they had their own voice at a very young age. I still remember my daughter in kindergarten, her teacher kept using the word stupid in class. And she, and we don't use it at, at, in our home. And so she was beside herself that 
this teacher was saying stupid, calling kids stupid. And, and so she wanted me to talk to the teacher. And I said, well, you know, you need to come with me and you need to let her know what you feel. Her first step into using her voice. And I was a little nervous, but <laughs> I let her take the lead and tell the teacher what was on her mind. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, you use the word stupid and it's not very nice. And it was, and the teacher asked, well, how do I use it? I went, oh dear, here we go. And she yeah. says, well, you call yourself stupid and, and that's not very kind to oh. yourself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it was the best intro for me to see how important it was to guide my daughters through their schooling years, making sure their voices were always intact. Mm-hmm. And then I went through a very difficult divorce and, um, and the death of my father's passing and then a very dear aunt. And then I went back to school and um, got my master's at that time. But again, it was all focused on their well-being first. I really did that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really suffered. My health went down quite a bit at that time. So it was really interesting for me to observe. You know, we have to put the oxygen mask on first. Yeah. <laughs> or we help other people. And so I wasn't putting on my mask as much as I needed to. Okay. We got a lot of unpacking to do. Okay. So first question for you is, you said you could hardly wait to turn 50. Why? My 40s, well, can I use the word hell? Yeah, I say it. <laughs> yeah, it was hell. So when I was 42, I think, 42 or three, I got very sick. Um, I was bedridden for about three weeks. And through multiple tests, they found a calcification in my brain. So they weren't sure if it was a tumor. So I went through three years of MRIs twice a year. My kids were three and five. Uh, I was exhausted, like depleted. Um, I could, sometimes I couldn't move very far. I had to lay down. That's how exhausted I was at the beginning of my forties. And then at the end of the forties was the separation. Okay. So have you, you healed during that time in your forties, the, the brain calcification? Well, the surgeon basically said, uh, as far as we know, it's a beauty mark and I'm going, okay, I'll keep that. Okay. <laughs> so I have a beauty I'll hang mark on to that. <laughs> there you go. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. That's actually a really, I love that. That's a really positive <laughs> way of saying it, I guess. Um, and then your marriage ended. So that was sort of like, okay, I'm just going to, I want to, I can hardly wait to leave this decade oh, behind. Yes. I'm going to focus on, uh, you know, being 50. And so when you thought about that, so you've, you know, you, you had a life event, which I think a lot of people in our thirties, forties and fifties, we all end up having an event of some sort that makes us kind of think about life a little bit differently. In your case, it was both a health scare as well as an end of marriage. So when you entered into your fifties, you were at a point where you thought to yourself, how am I going to make this different? And so what did you say to yourself where you're, you know, you, first of all, you had the, 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 the dress party where you all jumped into a pool or a river. Was it Um, the ocean? the ocean. Okay, perfect. So 
I guess that was sort of symbolic of, of how you wanted to live your 50s was to have this uh, celebration uh, with all of your friends, do something wild and crazy that you would not normally do. Um, but what did you what did you vision for yourself in your 50s? Well, I was still, you know, as a single mom was children were living with me full time. And so that was it was still intense at the beginning of my 50s, for sure, because I was still in mother mode and and moving them into their young 20s now. And they're independent, they're confident, uh, they're resilient. So that to me was a really important to finish that off in my 50s, for sure. And, you know, I, I had a vision. I, had, I thought I'd be working for an organization that worked with single moms and the door appeared. <laughs> so I walked through it. Really? And so I started working with single moms uh, in small groups. And then I ended up working with women survivors of violence and abuse and helping them get back into the workforce. Okay, that's great. So when you, you're in your 50s, you're... Um, you, you said your health suffered when, and that's when you sort of had this realization that, as you put it, I needed to start putting my own oxygen mask on first. Mm. Honestly, I could probably tell you that 98 point or 99.9% .9 of the women that I know that have raised kids have done this exact same thing. We mm. always put them first. Um, I mean, I guess there are probably cases where that doesn't happen for sure, but I think we give more than we anticipate getting anything back. And I think that's just the way we are as mothers, but how, how can we make that pivot? Because here's what happens. We get into our fifties. I mean, you had your children a little bit later, so it took your fifties or at least half of your fifties to have your girls as independent women, you know, off to university. But how do we, how do we make that pivot? Because it gets even harder once they've left, left the nest and, you know, maybe they're not answering your phone calls like they used to when they lived at home or, you know, they have their own lives now. And, you know, mom, I don't really need you to be part of my life anymore. And you're sitting there going, well, but hold on a second. <laughs> I gave my whole life to you. And how do I now take and turn, you know, turn it around to, to start thinking, yes, I do need to put my own oxygen mask on. And it's, it's a hard thing. I'd love to hear how you've been able to do something like that. Well, the idea of freedom comes back again. So when my youngest left uh, home, I felt freedom. I was able to do whatever and whenever, and I didn't have to think about somebody else. So from that angle as an individual, as a woman, I, I was excited about that idea. As a mom, I know that I'm just at another level of relationship with them. So when our kids are born, they're there and we're trying to figure it out. And then they grow and then we figure it out. And then they grow again, they, we figure it out. I don't think that ever ends in our lifetime as a mother. We're always, I mean, I even think of my 92 year old mother, you know, my one daughter had some health issues and she has dementia, but when it comes to her worrying about her family, she is crystal clear. Really? And 
oh, absolutely. How, how is she doing? You know, are things okay? And, you know, so she's, she's able to stay um, focused. So I think that's an innate in us as moms that we're always concerned. And if we can just see the stage in their development as they're just in another stage of life and I need to figure out how to be in relationship with that. You know, yeah. I know I still have to plant seeds of wisdom <laughs> around yeah. their health and relationships and things like that. So but I have to do it differently now because they are more independent. They have more of a voice. They have more of a, they have some opinions that are different than mine. And so how to, you know, it's an ebb and flow in that relationship, but at the core of it is love. And there is nothing that will um, impact our relationship because that's solid. Knowing that love is the foundation to our relationship, which is really key, it helps when it gets disconnected that you know that that's there. So there's a trust in that relationship that it'll, it will always flow even though you're ebbing at the moment. <laughs> so one time, it, this is a, a cute kind of story from uh, when they were in high school. My one daughter was very quiet. You know, she never expressed herself and what her concerns were. And so I always wanted her to let it out. Like just yeah. let it out, you know, because <laughs> you know, I want your voice. So I went to pick her up at school one day and I asked her, you know, instead of me always going right to the school, why don't you start walking and then we'll meet somewhere. So I flew by her <laughs> she like three blocks. I flew by her and she called me, mom, what are you doing? You just went by me. So I turned around and picked her up and she was still mad. She was so mad. And I sat there and going, yes, she's getting angry. This is so great. Yeah. <laughs> just it was so good to hear her voice because she was telling me her truth she was letting it letting me know what her truth was and she was mad at me for making her walk and not seeing her on the way yeah so but now that they're in their 20s they're that anger or you know not liking my opinion is met with a lot more defensive anger or upset or judgment and so it's like oh that's different for me and so it's like okay how do I maneuver that you know it's like I'm I'm glad she has an opinion and it's really important that she does but how informed is it so I'm at this stage of we need to teach our daughters how to critical think because we are bombarded with so much information that how do you decipher what's important to you? And I mean, we go through that as parents, you know, someone mm -hmm. says, well, try this or try that or do this. And we have to quiet our minds enough to really tap into the wisdom of what do I think is best for my child in this moment and, and give it a try, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's always really important to be able to figure out how to do that. And and I'm still maneuvering those waters of, you know, my kids being in their 20s and how to stay connected enough with them, but also give them their freedom. And I feel like I'm in that same boat. I want my freedom too, you know? So it's, right. it's, it's just that dance that we're in, stage of life. Like, 
will it be different when they marry or when they have children, if they choose to do that? So I think every stage of our children's lives is a new opportunity for us to grow within ourselves because regardless of what our children do, I can have well-being and I can have calm within myself regardless. And that's an important way to role model to our daughters how to be amazing at 50. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So there's a couple of questions I want to ask. So when you have been your entrepreneur along the way, where, how has your, I guess, how has your mindset shifted? Like you talk about ebb and flowing with your kids. How has, as you've gotten older, as you've gotten even wiser, specifically in your counseling work, how has your advice changed? Like, are you adapting to sort of this societal norms today versus societal norms from 15, 20 years ago? Because I think, in my opinion, things are much more obviously with social media and stuff, much more authentic and raw and we're seeing more and we're exposed to more. How, how have you adapted your business? So my work has always been based on understanding how the mind creates the human experience. So the only way I can share that with others is doing that myself. And so even mindset to me is, is not infinite of possibilities. So I go above, um, so I go beyond mindset, if you will, <laughs> and be mind, like be that, ability to be able to expand your thinking. And so when I get stuck, when I get into, you know, modes of fear, as, as you had mentioned earlier, about putting myself out there, I know that it's all thought, it's thought created. So I don't have to give it any more power <laughs> than I am in my thinking mind. And I know it will pass because it always passes. So fear to me is, is thought created. Mm -hmm. So it, so no, knowing that I don't have to be bothered by it. And I know I can just let it pass. And so wisdom will speak to me, time to go for a walk in the woods, time to um, take a hot bath, time to call a girlfriend and just dump, you know, mm -hmm. so that I don't teach techniques or strategies either, because my wisdom knows what's best for me. I might plant some ideas, different ideas. And I, you know, my morning practices are always changing because one day I might want to do breath work and other days I want to do some writing. And so I, I trust my inner knowing to guide me for the day. And I think that has a lot to do with how you're saying you've learned to put your own oxygen mask on first. Like for you to be able to get to a point where you don't even think of it as a mindset anymore. You are just thinking of it as fear is creating those thoughts. They are not, I paraphrase, they are not reality. They are your own made up gremlin talking to you. Um, and knowing that you're not going to accept that anymore. I mean, I think if I could just unpack it into the most simplest way, I think about the term Sunday scaries, you know, where people 
on Sundays start to get a little anxious, a little, you know, whatever, maybe they've had a, a, a big weekend and Sunday comes along and they sort of go into this state of Sunday scaries or, and they, you know, can start to get a little anxious about the week ahead. And so to be able to maybe think, well, hold on a second, that's just your gremlin in your brain, your fear in your brain or whatever it is that's talking to you, then you can simply sort of put it in its place and continue to move on, but then bring in practices that help you, which is, as you were saying, whether it's journaling, breath work, going for a walk, calling a girlfriend, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, and that's the doing part, right? I think you mentioned thought, feeling, behavior. And so that's the behavior part. And and that's, I don't work at that level. I work beyond thought because thought is a power source that creates my experience in every moment. And so even though I might be anxious about Monday, I also don't have to be. <laughs> And so right. when I start learning how to get more in alignment with who I am, those gremlins don't talk to me. So if I'm off track and I decide to go do something and I naturally come back online, that's that ebb and flow that we have in our natural system to allow us to, to um, come back to a nice feeling. I guess that's your sign then when you are feeling where you're out of alignment, it could be anything that's happening and you know, because I'm normally this way in total alignment, I don't have gremlins talking to me anymore, but maybe that gremlin did talk to me that day, you know, then that's your immediate response is you're out of alignment and what are the steps you need to take to get back on track? Well, and gremlins are a gift as well. And a lot of times we look at our emotions that are anxious or anger or depression or whatever as they're horrible, they're bad, that's a fixed mindset. And it's like, okay, well, what's it telling me? What does it want me to know? How can I be in relationship with my anger so I can understand it instead of blaming everyone else because you did this, I'm angry. And I'm going, okay, whoa, I really reacted to that. Like, what's that about? So when we start responding to life, we stay in alignment. Because when I respond to life, I, I don't need to be bothered by it. It's like, oh, there it comes. <laughs> Even mm -hmm. when I was going through divorce, I mean, I, I know I was in a, the drama triangle for quite some time in it because it was easy to blame. And then I, I can start to notice that, wow, I'm really reacting and I want to respond. How mm -hmm. can I go into a re response state? And that really made a difference in the, the dynamics, how I showed up to a conversation and made a big difference in how I. How did you, how did you know that you needed to pivot from a react to a response situation? Because we all have a state of mind. And so the way I best, oh, there's two ways I describe it, but a, a good one for adults, because I work with kids so much on this, mm -hmm. uh, is being- But sometimes the, we need those simple messages, you know? Absolutely, yes. I'm really good at metaphors because our psychology is so abstract. Like, how do you mm -hmm. understand it? And so being in the basement, 
of your mind is dark. It's gloomy. You get out, you don't know where you're going. It can be very difficult to live there because everything is an argument. Everything is a struggle. If I'm in the penthouse of my life and in my mindset, it's like, wow, look at the possibilities out there. Look at where I could go. Things I hadn't seen before, things that are still there that really make sense to me. So we are either in the penthouse, we could be on fifth floor, or we could be in the basement. And I could be in one conversation and be in the basement and then in the penthouse. <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. I, yeah. So when I start seeing that, it's like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> and so you've just naturally been able to train yourself now to respond to situations from a penthouse view versus the basement view. Really, I love the metaphor. It's excellent. Well, sometimes I am stuck in the basement, for sure. I mean, I think mm -hmm. as human beings, we have old belief systems, we have old habits and patterns that get stuck in the left brain, and we they're there. When I recognize that, it's like, okay, what do I need to do? Sometimes I need to set a boundary. Sometimes I need to walk away. Sometimes, you know, I, I can't give you an answer right now. Let me think about that. So I give myself permission and grace when I'm in a situation like that, where I am in the basement. I have to, I have to nurture my well-being in this moment. And this is the best I can do. So if someone's yelling at me and I'm dropping, because I can't hold my grounding. It's like, you know, I can't listen to you right now. And I'm sorry. I just, you know, when you're yeah. yelling at me, I can't listen. So if you could change that, that would be great. And if not, then we have to come back to this another time. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. As, as I, you know, in the modern day age today, it's all about setting boundaries. Um, but it's really sort of sticking to values, right? The way that you feel that you should be treated and stuff. That's, that's excellent. I want to go back to something you said about how we speak to ourselves. And I, I really loved what you were saying there. Um, and, and I'd love to hear more about the impacts that it has. We may not even know we're speaking because sometimes we're not even speaking out loud. We just tell stories in our head. So give me a little bit more about that. Like expand on that a little bit and why it's important to you know, give ourselves grace? Well, research has shown that we have 60,000 thoughts that go through our head every day. Wow. And I'm sure those that are more busy-minded, it's probably more. They also did, uh, did a test on a Buddhist monk in meditation, and he was down to 10,000 thoughts. So you can see how much flows through our brain. And yet we have this ability to drop in to uh, another layer of who we are. So superficial layer, I am, I am outside in. Like I am looking at everything and everything is impacting me and who I am and how I'm showing up that day. Next layer could be my trauma responses. So if I've had a trauma in my life, I'm triggered by somebody yelling, for an example. Say I was had a uh, trauma where somebody was always yelling at me. Now it's locked into my system. And then as soon as someone does that, I get triggered. And then I think it's them. But really, 
I've allowed it to stay stuck in my system. I didn't move the energy out. And I'm not taking full responsibility for how I feel. When I start fully understanding how to under, fully understand my emotional state is thought created, I drop in a little bit more. And it gets really quiet when we start to drop in. So when we're able to do that, we're able to shift in in an instant. We come back to present moment because most of the time triggers are from the past. So my thinking mind goes into the past. I drop into insecurity. I pull out those files (laughs) and then I have my my little behavior thing, uh, or I go into my imagination and that's more fear-based. You know, it, I don't know what's coming next. I, I'm, a, I'm terrified of the unknown and yet the unknown can be so beautiful because it could be a surprise. And wow, like, isn't that amazing? I mean, think of children in the forest and they see something for the first time. It's like, wow, that's wow. So Yeah. So if we can come to life that way, it's just a playground. I love that. And so I I don't know if I should even say this on this podcast, but I'm going to anyway, I have had, and I'm not asking you to like, I'm going to tell you about a dream. I'm not asking you to like dissect my dream here, psychologist, you know, but I have had a dream for the last 15 years. It's the same dream. And it, I had it last night and it's because I know that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm about to launch my pro my version 2.0 of my program. I'm struggling with like, Oh my God, fear, right. My, in my head, I'm like, what happens if nobody signs up? What happens if, you know, it's going to be just like, ah. and so I, I've had this dream that I'm going to an airport and I'm either a, I can't figure out how to get to the airport or I've forgotten my luggage and somehow I'm struggling with like how to go and get my luggage. But last night's dream was one that I've had at least three times now. And it's almost the exact same airport, everything. And it's, I cannot find the gate to the dream, to the, to the, to the plane. And I talked, to the agent and you know it's just right there right there it's just right there and she's pointing in my dream to gate b and i walk up this ramp but i still can't find the gate and i wake up and i literally i can tell you i i've literally had that dream for sure that specific dream three or four times but i dream about that uh, like five 15 years now, like, and I probably have it once a year or something. It's just really weird. But when you were talking about, you know, getting to this place and moving away from fear, it just reminded me of my dream because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that's like, I don't know. I just feel like that's maybe I, it's the unknown, but I, maybe I need to act more like I'm entering into a force with this, you know, version 2.0 of my program and, and being excited about it and seeing what happens. And, but instead I'm like, Oh, what am I going to write on this sales page? And <laughs> so I guess this is like uh, when somebody listens to this podcast, they'll get the, the inside scoop on 
it happens to the best of us <laughs> kind of thing. So, oh, for sure. And yeah. again, the grounding is so important. Being able, I call it inner, inner lifestyle because we are everything we do on the outside of us, if it's our hair and makeup and the way we dress or the programs we put out there, you know, that's for everyone to see, but they don't see the inner life. And when the inner life is in, in alignment with the outer life, everything flows and it's all natural. It's, you could get really curious about that dream and every part, even the lady at the, at the gate, it's like, what part of her is me? You know, mm -hmm. that part of me is giving me directions and I know how to yeah. give, you know, show people how to do that. So it's, everybody's so different and dreams are amazing because they really do um, speak to us and uh, about our subconscious life. Absolutely. Sure. And all the things that we're picking up, you said that, you know, on average, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. I mean, just imagine like all like it's coming from everything that we look at, like we look over there, we don't even know we're thinking about something like that. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, so just speaking to ourselves, I think that that I, I really like that. I, I feel like just, you know, what you said about getting just really curious about life and just being gentle and giving yourself grace and finding those moments of, of understanding when you're balanced and in alignment. Um, the one thing you said to me that I want to kind of hone into is when you're growing and you're 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 evolving in your business you, one thing you said to me was that you're super passionate about helping mothers with daughters mm -hmm. and in our pre-call you talked a lot about how really it's not it's usually the mother that wants to fix the daughter but you're from a point of view of well mom you need to fix yourself and it it reminded it, it it's being prompted from what you said like think about your 80 year old self and what she wants to say to you now, like, keep going, because when you're here in your 80s, this is what life is going to be look like. And, you know, you can either leave boxes or you could leave a legacy. Talk to us a little bit about the work that you do specifically with daughters and mothers, because it is definitely a crazy roller coaster ride. I have one daughter, she's 26, and it's been an, a roller coaster, but we've landed in a quite a nice place. So nice. Yeah. You know, when I think of my mom, you know, when I, she was raising four children, she took care of herself. You know, I remember her getting her hair done. She worked full time. She was always there for us um, kids. She took her baths. You know, she enjoyed a social life with my dad, you know, so she role modeled how to take care of yourself and stay busy. Like she was a volunteer. I mean, she had a full life and she loved it. And so when I was raising my kids, I knew that it's not so much what we say, it's what we role model. So I was, one of my programs was going into elementary schools to deal with eating disorders. And we got talking about fats and how important fats is for our, for growing bodies. And we don't get fat food in our house. We get zero fat. Mom brings in 
fat-free yogurt <laughs> for an yeah. example it's like wow so those subtle things we role model to our kids we're role modeling how to deal with conflict how to deal with stress so as much as you want to say one thing they're going to pick up what you do and mm -hmm. how you live and so it's really important for us to live our lives in the best way possible it's okay if you're feeling stuck just say it it's okay mm -hmm. you know we have this thinking that we can't say i messed up and i'm really sorry you know it's okay to say that that then connects us heart to heart and we forget about those moments to just be be heart to heart with our kids and it has to start with that heart in ourselves feeling full because of who I am, just loving who I am. Yeah, am I where I'm wanting to be? No, not yet. But that's part of the journey of life, isn't it? It is. And it's interesting you said that I'm not yet where I am at in life. And do you think, what would you say the percentage of people, I know this maybe might be a tough question, but the percentage of people out there, women that have said that in their 50s, Well, my understanding of women in their 50s when they became empty nesters were they, they were devastated. It's like, what's my life about now? Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom was like that. She loved family and we were all gone. And she, I think she went into a depression for a while because that was her, that was her identity was us kids. And even though she loved what we were doing and, and was able to share that with her friends, it was that one-to-one that -one connection with her kids that was struggling. So again, that's an outside-in way of looking at life because when we live what I call inside-out, my resonance of love is so full in me, it doesn't need outside influences to make it any better hmm. you know i think that's interesting and i i think that i would have hated to be my mother to be honest like because i know that happened right she became an empty nester then she just worked out the rest of her you know 10 years to hit retirement and there was a moment where i saw my mom just kind of, I don't, I don't know if the word is give up, but comply to conform, whatever. I, I know that as I've talked to her about some stories of her childhood, and even as, a, as being a young mom, you know, she lived in different times, like she got fired because she was pregnant, you know, and I just learned that. And I was like shocked to learn that. And, you know, and as she put it, you know, it was a great job. I was going to be able to travel to California and da, da, da. But then because I was so sick, um, they said, hey, listen, maybe you just need to go home and take care of your baby, you know. And but I think women our age in this day and age, even though we did grow up with very much societal norms um, and conformities, I guess, I think we're changing. And I think that we're starting to realize that in our 50s, we are going to go after that freedom, we are going to go after and put that safety mask on. And it might be a little bit of a shocker for our kids to see that because they're so used to seeing well, in my case, I was a mom hustler, I 
looked after two kids, raised them from little to like 17 years, 100%. And I even remember my daughter saying to me even a year ago when I started this life of freedom, wow, mom, it feels like you're living your 20s again. And I laughed and I, I actually said, yeah, I am. Because I didn't get to do a lot of those things um, that I wanted to do. And no fault of anybody's, but it, it is like, I didn't, put my, I didn't put my oxygen mask on first ever. And I think maybe the story you tell of your mom raising you and, and your, your, your siblings, you know, she still took her bath. She still went out and had a social life with her husband. Whereas I think now we're seeing more single moms and they, they're not able to do a lot of that. And then I think there's a guilt behind it too. Um, but I think women in their fifties and sixties are changing the norms and I, and I'm really proud of every one of them that, that does, you know, so yeah, it's really, really interesting. So tell us, where can we find you, Gwen? Where, if somebody was going to look to get some advice from Gwen, where would they find you? Well, they can come to my website. So that's quincashion.com. And um, I'm about to launch quiet luxury retreats. And so that it, I'll um, have a link to that as well. Because so tell us a little bit about quiet luxury retreats. Yeah, so, so my sister came to visit me in May, and she her hands are full, her husband had a stroke, um, she's taking care of my mom in Edmonton. And so her life is busy. And she's a grandmother, and she loves being a grandmother to three kids. And so she, her life's full. Again, her oxygen mask is not being put on. So she came out <laughs> for a week and I didn't let her do anything. Like, you know, it's like, can I help? It's like, no, yeah. go for a walk, read a book, do something that you enjoy. And it really replenished her. And then shortly after that, I wanted to do a trip on my own. So a solo trip, you know, in my fifties, I out of the country. And so that was a big step for me. So I decided to go to Malibu. Okay. <laughs> and uh, there was a monastery there that I stayed at. And I, and that's one of the things that I love is monasteries. They're just so peaceful. Quiet luxury is a term used in fashion right now. I see quiet luxury for well-being because when we really understand how to tap into it, it is truly a quiet luxury. It, it's timeless. It's rich. It's, it's beautiful space. And so when I was there, it occurred to me, I've got to do that. So I'm planning my first uh, retreat in the spring of next year. And where will it be? It will be in Malibu. Okay, well, you better make sure I'm on that, that, that email list. So I go to your website and sign up to the email list. Is that what I'm doing? Um, I'm just about to launch it. So give me a few weeks. Okay, well, by the time this podcast launches, Gwen, we will be able to put the link to that as well. We can promote that a little bit as well. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I love the idea of a monastery as well. I have... Um, a Tuesday mastermind group where one of my one of the women uh, in the mastermind group uh, actually went and lived in a monastery for two months, I think it was. Um, 
And I just sounded so intriguing. And it just seems like that's being served up onto my path. I've been meeting quite a few now that you're the, I think the third or fourth person I've met that's talked to me about monasteries. So very good. Maybe this is a message. Yeah, my aunt was a a nun, a a sister of St. Anne. And so she was in Victoria. So I went over a lot with my, my two daughters. And it was, you know, religions for some people is it you know has we have a lot of thinking around it you know because they're not all done some great things over the years but again the foundation of religion is love and so going to see the sisters you just felt it in that in their space it was just pure love they loved my daughters and so my my kids grew up with the sisters and so it's just been part of my life for quite some time. And, and so I, when she passed away, I, I found another community that I just love our conversations. They're so deep and rich and quite beautiful. Okay. So, so that's going to be next, next spring, did you say? Spring, yes. Next spring. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we're going to watch for it. Uh, maybe we even have to bring you back on to talk specifically about it. For more information so <laughs> thank you quinn thank you very much we've uh, had a little bit of a bumpy recording session here but uh <laughs> we made it to the end thank you so much um i love your story i love how calm you are um in our pre-call as i mentioned the way that you had taken care of your mother while we were doing this pre-interview was just handled with absolute mastery it was amazing so I can tell you're an amazing woman inside and out. So thank you. you.